This is episode number 32 of the High Impact Leaders Podcast, your shortcut to personal growth and career success. Everybody, welcome to episode number 32 of High Impact Leaders. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute, and this is the podcast that helps people acquire leadership and management skills to improve your careers and facilitate dynamic growth in your business. Um, on this episode, this is part two of a two-part interview with Claire Chandler. Claire is an expert at growing the people side of your company started out in HR and kind of figured out that she had a real knack for not only the training and development part, but also being able to kind of identify who are those, the, those people that have the talent, the best talent for your company and how to, how to really help your company grow while keeping the, especially for entrepreneurs, you know, you want to keep that family atmosphere. So if you missed last week's episode, make sure and go back and listen to that one first, but this is a continuation of the interview with Claire. Enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And I know this, this is kind of a little off topic of where, where, you know, I wanted to go, but um, so after we've hired somebody, they're fitting in nicely, they're, 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 um, um, making up for some of those deficiencies. So they're filling a hole that, that we have. Um, the, I know that, that like there's different techniques out there. What was it? Jack Welch, you know, he used to fire like 10% of that's what, I don't know if he ever did that or not, but that was, yeah. the, that's, that's what that was the legend. Like, yeah. The legend. <laughs> fired 10% of the entire staff every year, you know, yeah. and, and it was yeah. very competitive at GE and stuff like that. So, um, because the reason I'm asking this is because we did something just in the last year that helped tremendously through COVID. And it was just a, a suggestion that somebody like yourself kind of made. And I was like, God, I'm, I think I'm going to try that. But I wanted to see if, if kind of what you're teaching your, your uh, clients to do is kind of similar to what, what we did. Um, but the, so after you've got this group, um, you want to kind of figure out who is really meshing with the, the, um, the the mission statement or the values uh, i'm assuming that that's a step that that that's kind of the next step here after you've attracted the right people now we want to make sure that we're maintaining that culture and see if they really are uh they, they interviewed well but are they really hitting the hitting home with the the mission and the values that we have as a as an organization or as a company is that is that true is that what kind of what you're teaching your folks to do as well uh, Absolutely. You know, the, the, you know, you you can, you can level up your, um, your hiring process, right? The way that you look for candidates, where you look for the candidates, um, how you evaluate them, the interview phase and all of that sort of thing. But the job isn't done, right? Just because you think, okay, I've, I've done this um, in a more strategic way and it's more aligned with, you know, the, the clarity of mission and I've asked, you know, better behavioral interviewing questions and we've incorporated assessment tools and, you know, all that the mistake that most companies still make is now they've hired what they think is the right talent based on the the, the resume and the skill sets and the background and the diverse perspectives and the and the and the different you know journey toward this point that they took versus the way that I took. They hire them, they get the job. That's great. Here's all your paperwork. Give me that resume. Give me all those notes. Give me all that great feeling that we had during the interview process. And I'm going to stuff it in your personnel file. And I'm never going to look at it again. It's the biggest mistake companies make. If you're if you're hiring this person out of all the people you could have hired, 
it's not because their resume was the prettiest. It's because there's something on that. There's something that they bring to the table that you were missing and that you wanted to bring into your culture. Don't shove it in a drawer. Right. Don't put it into, you know, this is this is where corporate gets it wrong. And they say, that's great that you did all these wonderful, revolutionary, innovative things and you failed forward and all of that sort of thing. You know, and they say they want people with an entrepreneurial spirit because we have an entrepreneurial culture. But that's not Don't the color outside here. the lines, <laughs> right. right? They go, here's your box. Here's your desk. Here's your stapler. Um, these are the only staples you can ever use. This is the only ink you can ever use in your pen. And, and don't color outside the lines. It's the biggest mistake that businesses make. And so, you know, that that careful identification and, and, and drawing in an attraction of the right talent is just the beginning of the journey. If you really want to take your foot off the brake as a company and get everybody rowing in the same direction, in the right direction, and doing it willingly and enthusiastically, then you also need to pay very close attention to how you onboard how you set expectations, how you give feedback, mm-hmm. how you communicate day to day. And don't tell me, well, we can't do that anymore because now you know everybody's remote. Use the technology that we have available and, and you know, make sure that you are going above and beyond to right. connect with your employees. So it's it's all of the steps. And I know a lot of people hear that and say, oh my gosh, that's so much more work. Why can't we just be confident that we hire the right person, plug them into the role that we've hired them for, and just give them you know, market competitive compensation and they'll figure it out. Right. Because that's not what people are looking for anymore. Sure, they want a, they want a livable wage, right? They want, they want to be paid what they're worth, but they want to feel like they're with a company where they belong and it's a company they can believe in. And the right. only way you're going to do that is not by paying them a certain salary. It's by showing them a direct connection between what I care about personally and how that's going to help advance your mission. Nice. Yeah. I, okay. I get a couple of quick stories that, uh, that love it. You're, Bring you're, it on. Gonna, you're, you're probably going to laugh at me, but um, so what, uh, uh, number one, um, the, the big challenge that I had, I didn't do what you're suggesting. So basically I, uh, cause I'm, I'm, I like, for some, I think I'm the most trusting person on the face of the earth. So when somebody comes in and they, they interview really well, I'm like, God, oh, I really like that. That person's so, so nice. Man, they're so nice and so good. God, they're going to fit in. Everybody likes that person and everything. And right. And so, um, and you know, and, and, uh, over the years, I kind of figured out after hiring everybody that, that ever, um, applied, kind of figured out that maybe I should do this a little differently. And so I, I went through the, the school of hard knocks and, one of the neat things um, that um, that I want to ask you a different question about in a few minutes was was that uh, in the first like 15, 20 years of, of my company, because it's a fairly high profile company, I never had to I never had to to do any job postings or anything like that. I mean, I had 20, 30, 40 different resumes coming over my desk every month, you know, and, and still do. I mean, still, I mean, the long line of folks that, that, um, that want to kind of work for a a company like this. So, and that's, that's fantastic. So I was able to kind of take the, the, the cream of the crop, you know, if I had 30 or 40 resumes this month, and if I went through all 40 of them and, and and didn't like any of them, I go to last month's and I got another 40, right? So, so it was, so I, I could pick kind of the best of the best and it worked out really well for the longest period of time. And what happened though, was that um, I started kind of noticing that the, the success that we've had kind of made it to where we hit a a stagnation period. We hit it. I mean, 
folks would come, like for instance, you know, when we go out and we teach a class or we do some team building or we do a, a leadership development program or something like that, we always get a five-star. I mean, we, we never don't get a five-star out of five-star, right? So it's, it's and, and so that's the, it's just a really cool kind of culture. And, and, um, and, uh, and of course we, you know, we, we all get paid fairly well too, you know? So it's, I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice living. And so um, I don't lose people very often. I mean, folks don't leave or, or go away, but, um, but we hit that stagnation where we weren't really growing as well. I mean, for the first 10, 15 years or so, we were doubling, tripling, quadrupling our income. And so last year I, I said, okay, great. This is the year we're going to break out. And, and I set this huge goal to um, quadruple the amount of people that we were able to service the, the, in the, the previous year. And I said that, hey, we can do this by 2022. We can do this. I've, I've done it before. I know how to do it. You know, we, we can do it. And the, the um, so the first step was to create the goal and, and get everybody excited about it. And when I started to kind of um, roll that out to the to the the staff about I'd say about 25% of them were like holy cow that is so awesome I can't wait and about 50% of them were going oh that sounds good and the other 25% was like yeah it'll never work these are people that teach <laughs> these are yeah. people that these are people that teach for, anyway so it was yeah. uh, so I, I I called my the the my 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 executives the two or three of us that were kind of at the top of the food chain here. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's kind of see if we're, how we're doing with personnel now. Are we, are we really doing, do, do the people that work for us or work for the organization, do they really, are they really uh, creating the type of culture? Do they, do they live up to the values that we have? And I went back to, you know, the website, you know, all the companies have websites with their values and their mission statements and all that kind of stuff on. I went back to the value statement that I created, you know, 12 years ago or 15 years ago. And I was like, God, that is really, that's our company. This is our culture. This is, but we've yeah. gotten away from that. Right. And so yeah. what we did was each one of us individually went to a different room and we took every single folk, every single person, and we rated them like on a letter grade, you know, A to A to F at yeah. how they rated in each one of those, um, each one of those those core values that we we have as a company, and it was shocking. the The twenty five percent that I was saying that was like eh, it'll never work, right? They were the ones that scored the worst in our culture. In our, sure. And then the the fifty percent was like, eh, they scored. They were C students, right? <laughs> the, yeah. The ones yeah. that were like gung ho and let's let's go, man. Give me a give me a give me a problem to tackle. They were the ones that scored in the in the A, and then we all did it independently. We, and then we just kind of yeah. shared notes, and it was almost unanimous. And we're like, wow, okay. It was kind of eye opening. And and four months later, COVID hit. Mm. And the and it was. It was, you know, I mean, the training industry. Obviously, if you're if you're not in the training industry, training industry got killed by COVID. I mean, it was yeah, been yeah. it's been a really tough, you know, six or seven, eight months now. Um, so it was really I had to make some tough decisions right in you know March and April, and it was easier for me to make those tough decisions based on hey the the folks who have the the culture that we're trying to create, and we are so create, and we are so much stronger now. We are blowing and going yeah. and growing faster than, than we've grown in, I don't know, 12, 15 years. I mean, it's, 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 it is, it's an exciting, exciting time to, to kind of see things. So, so it's, it's. So, um, so let me ask you a question about that. I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but too bad. Um, so the, the, 
you said you had to make some some difficult decisions. It sounds like you did something to address the bottom twenty five percent. Did you did you sort of Jack Welsh them? Well, uh, okay. So being in the training industry, you know, this being uh, yeah. the, the we basically we had we had uh, and we do meetings. I mean, so basically, people hire us to come. We're guest speakers a lot of time, keynote speakers. So they hire us to come in and do meetings. So basically, in in early March, all of a sudden we started getting notifications from clients that we had booked out for like a year. I mean, a year's worth yeah. of work, right? All the way to, yeah. to like, um, you know, December. And, and they started saying, you know what, we're going to need to kind of postpone the, and, and it was, it was fine, you know, because things were still kind of, but these, the things that were coming in started to slow down. And then about um, mid March, all of a sudden it was no longer postponing. It was, hey, we're going to have to cancel. When as soon as this is over, as soon as yeah. you know everything's going to go back to normal, we'll come back and and rebook it. So basically, we had revenue that was collected for like. A, so basically, we gave back almost a whole year's a, re, a year of revenue to clients that had things booked in in about a two week period of time. So, um, so I, I had to lay off a bunch of people and and when you know and and it was real easy to kind of go down the list when I had mm-hmm. to kind of make those tough decisions. Now. One of the cool things is, is that we are very um, creative and we're very, uh, we kind of figured some things out. So we, we actually found a, a niche in COVID that caused us to be able to, to come back huge. And it's the, you know, um, I don't know if you realize this, but most virtual meetings suck. Yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, they do. Most Zoom yeah. meetings are boring, you know, most Zoom yeah. meetings, right? And so basically what we we started doing in about three or four weeks in is we started teaching people how to do Zoom meetings better. And then that spawned a whole new industry. We, we, we figured out a way to do like corporate team building activities over Zoom. We can actually, you can actually train. We, we've done like, we've trained 250, 300 people on Zoom doing it where they were actually doing an activity as if they were all in the same banquet hall and stuff like that. So, so now come, we're coming up on Christmas time and all of a sudden we're doing more holiday business now than what we we've ever done, you know, because nobody can do a holiday meeting, holiday meeting. And so, so basically we, but, but if I were, if I was relying on that bottom 25% to help me come up with those ideas and make that happen, it would have it would have taken a lot longer, but because the that top twenty five percent was there and they were excited and they were gung ho and then we came up with an idea and they took it ran with it and that kind of thing. So so yeah. And it's, what's it's and what's great about that though is you you kind of eliminated the drag right because the the breakdowns that you just talked about are are generally the same breakdowns you see in employee engagement nationwide right. You have kind of this this top quarter, 25% or so that are actively engaged. You've got this sort of ambivalent middle chunk that's usually about half of your workforce. And then you've got that bottom 25% who are actively disengaged. Um, If you remember Casey Stengel, the longtime famous manager of the New York Mets, he was famous for saying, you know, the key to my success as a manager is to keep the people who hate me away from the people who are undecided. Um, And, and right. And so that's a, I think I've, I said it about the way he said it, but, uh, but you get the, but you get the gist, right. Right. And and the point is to, you know, to first identify who those, who those buckets are and then do something so that the, the bottom 25%, the actively disengaged, the ones who are working against you, the ones who are dragging you down, don't infect 
that that sort of undecided middle. So um, so kudos to you on a number of fronts. One, that you were able to identify who they were, and two, that you made the identifying criteria the level to which they did or did not demonstrate your core values. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's mm-hmm. that's tremendous. And then three, of course, that you you know you kind of did something about it. Sure, you could use, you know, COVID kind of struck and you you had no choice but to eliminate some folks, but you did it in a way where it was very obvious from a business standpoint, a culture standpoint, who had to go. So that's yeah. great. Now, just so you know, I mean, if, if COVID hadn't hit, never would have done that. I mean, none of right. that would have happened. None of that would have happened. So, you know, it's basically we're, we, uh, one of the things that that top level, that top 25% of folks that you're, that you're attracting to your organization will help do is, is um, it, it helps you be create creative and, and, and um, capitalize on changes in the marketplace faster and, and that yeah. kind of thing. So, and that's um, what you have to do with that top 25%, right? Take, take your foot off the brake, let them walk in the style that they are comfortable with, whether it's happy and bouncy or just sort of determined or slow and deliberative, whatever, but, but let them express themselves in a way that's going to move your business forward, because that is going to be what that ambivalent middle 50% are going to notice and they're going to see, okay, you know, it's, it's a matter of there's, there's a couple of things, right? We get what we, what we tolerate. So had COVID not hit, you likely would have continued to plot along and pull your hair out about the fact that you're not growing and scaling um, and achieving the profits to the level you know that, that you wanted to. And right. so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? That bottom 25% who said your goal for 2022 is never going to happen, they end up being proven right. Um, you know, I, I what I love about your story is that for, for the companies who chose to see it this way, COVID presented an opportunity to right. become creative. You're in Texas. Tito's happens to be my favorite brand of vodka. Look at what Tito's did during COVID and other you know vodka uh, distillers followed suit. They said, we can either fold or, you know, other small businesses uh, here in New Jersey, you know, the microbrewery uh, industry really took off once the you know, the regulations kind of allowed um, microbreweries to flourish here. And then, you know, in walked COVID, kind of the same situation. We could either, you know, use that as an excuse to fold on this dream of this business as, that we wanted, or we can pivot and start making hand sanitizer. I, I mean, it was a brilliant pivot that not right. everybody saw mm-hmm. and not everybody seized upon. So you saw this this need in the marketplace with Zoom fatigue and and horrible meetings that you know were were just not coming to life. So you you recognized it and you did something about it and you turned it into an offer that has made you more profitable than you would have been in a non-COVID year. Yeah, that's fantastic. We're able to de- we're able to deliver this without hardly any expense anymore. So now a lot of those expenses and very are- and and less competition, Absolutely. less competition for what you do because you went out. And you created a new market. Right. Yep. Yep. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Okay. So, so I, I kind of mentioned how I, I've never really had to, I mean, there are positions within the organization that we have to kind of post, you know, <clears throat> in our warehouse and stuff like that. But for the most part, most of the folks that I've kind of hired in the past, they, they've come to me and I've been able to kind of take the pick. I, I think I accidentally 
created something that you talk about in your in your training is that is that the whirlpool effect or did i guess wrong on that so the whirlpool oh i love that you brought this up so the whirlpool effect um which is a a, a book that i released a couple of years ago the same name um it, it is an analogy for what true leadership looks like um so little little backstory to that so i am a jersey girl born and raised um you know, and, and for me, like I'm sure for you in Texas, the summers are hot and humid, right? And so it's um, it's way hotter and humid here than it is in New Jersey. I can guarantee that. There you go. Okay. So, you know, we, we, we had hazy, hot and humid summers. We still do. And growing up, the most popular kid on the block was the one with the swimming pool. Hey, hold on a second. There was a, right? there was a little glitch there. Everybody hung out. There was there was a little glitch there. So um, start okay. with the- You want me to start that again? Yeah, right at, Right after I said, um, it's way more hot and humid here. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so in New Jersey, hazy, hot and humid summers as well. Um, and it always happened growing up that the most popular kid on the block was the one with a swimming pool in their backyard, right? Of just, course, yeah. just stood to reason. Um, and so that's where we would all congregate. All the neighborhood kids would get, you know, get in the, in the swimming pool and spend our afternoons there. And invariably, somebody, while we were all splashing around, having a great time, would yell out, whirlpool. And we all knew what that meant, right? It meant whatever else we were doing, whether it was Marco Polo or just splashing around or jumping in and out of the pool, we would stop what we were doing. We would follow each other in a circle. And after a couple of laps, you could pick up your feet and be carried along by the flow. Hmm. And so that became the analogy for me of what true leadership looks like, right? That you have a very simple but compelling mission. The, the people that are trying to follow you immediately attach meaning to that. They know what it means. They know what success looks like. And they enthusiastically and willingly contribute their, you know, their best talents, their, their full heads, hands, and hearts to making that a reality. Um, nice. So yeah, so that's what the whirlpool effect oh, is. Nice. It, it is okay. a leadership um, analogy, sort of uh, analogy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad I asked that because that's that's a. I am too. I love that. <laughs> Good deal. All right. Well, hey, I, I know we're we're um, kind of. I hopefully. Uh, if depending on how long we've kind of gone here, we might be able to kind of break this up into two. But I but um, but into two two parts. Um, and if not, I'll just cut that part out. But um, but let people know how to get in touch with you because your main the, the main thing that you do is you do coaching consulting for like is there a specific type of company that that is kind of optimal for you? I'm I'm guessing you know hundred to five hundred person employees or entrepreneurs that kind of thing or. Yeah, that's kind of the sweet spot. Um, I, I, you know, I do go up to, to much larger companies, um, you know, but it's, but it's really any company. I, I work personally with the, with the CEOs and the founders and the business owners. Um, and then they're, they're sort of upper level leadership uh, team to, um, you know, to, to help them achieve better alignment, mission clarity, and, you know, get their people um, fully behind them so that they can achieve their, their mission. Nice. Um, and, and for somebody that's like an entrepreneur, maybe doesn't have a, a whole lot of employees, maybe they're just kind of starting at what level, at what, what part would they want to start kind of talking to you or consulting with you to, to kind of help them kind of kick it up to that, that next level? Is it a, is it a revenue or a number of employees or kind of what, yeah, do you, so what do you well, for the, for the founders, it's, it's kind of an inflection point, right? So um, typically founders are very clear when they first start out what they want to be all about. 
um, you know, why that matters, kind of the mark they want to make on the world. It's at that point where they are ready to bring in that, that second wave of employees, right? Um, maybe they're, they're looking for a second round of, of funding if they're looking for that from an angel investor. Um, but it's really that second real growth spurt where, you know, just sort of flying by the seat of their pants, managing by chaos, having staff meetings where everybody just gathers around the, the you know, the, the, the staircase or the, you know, the owner's desk or whatever is not going to be effective anymore. Um, you know, that's where it's a great time for a founder to just sort of raise their hand and reach out to me and say, um, I may already have everything figured out, but I need to validate that because as a founder, I spend way too much time in my own head and I talk to myself all the time, right? And there are so many voices in my head that I'm not sure which ones are serving me and which ones are, you know, potentially derailing me. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so those, those founders at that point should absolutely reach out before they, you know, start to go down a direction um, or, or kind of spin themselves into inaction, which is the worst thing you can do as a founder. And if somebody wants to kind of get in touch with you, they want to kind of contact you or, or ask you questions. Um, what, yeah. how can, they, how can um, they do that? Sure. So, so two, two easy ways to do that. One is my main website, which is clairechandler.net. Um, they can learn more about me. They can uh, catch a couple of podcasts that are out there and there's a bunch of free resources that they can download and immediately bring value to their business. Um, and there's also a, a link in there to uh, to a relatively new um, uh, site that I've launched called the Founders Distillery. So it's exactly mm-hmm. the kind of place that those founders should go and and uh, start to get answers and and you know contribute to a community. The other mm-hmm. website is ProfitableSwagger.com, um, which is a very simple, straightforward uh, website, but it will get people on the fast track to profitable swagger and to feeling that they can confidently say, I've got this. All right. Good deal. I'll put links to that in the, the show notes. Anyway, so Claire, thanks so much for taking it for, for being a part of the high impact leaders podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Doug. It's been a pleasure.